you know, for a number of years, uh, I taught in the college level as uh, in the local community college, and of course, I continue to teach uh, some overseas. We have two teaching episodes coming up th before the end of this year, one in the uh, end of June uh, and one in the fall. Um, and so teaching is something I'm familiar with. And, and one thing I've learned is that it's amazing when the teacher announces that maybe after the class there'll be an exam or a pop quiz on, on, the, on the, uh, the material of that day. It's, a, it's astonishing how some students will take great interest in all of a sudden what's about to be said. Well, tonight there's a pop quiz. And so we're telling you in advance, you're gonna have, you, we're going to want you to come and, and share an insightful thought. It's really hard to do that if you come into the discussion and think, what was the sermon on this week? So, so, so you might be looking for something. Oh, there's a good quote. I'll share that tonight. Write it down. So just, uh, and this is a little bit unusual. Uh, we're talking today about Pontius Pilate. Uh, this is Palm Sunday. First day, the, the first day of the week of we often call Passion Week or Holy Week or Easter Week or, or Paschal Week. This is the week that begins with our Lord making that triumphal entry, fulfilling uh, the prophet Zechariah's prediction of the Messiah would present himself riding on a colt. And then the teachings and, and, and ultimately leading Thursday night, the upper room uh, meeting and Last Supper, Friday, Good Friday, when he gave himself on the cross. Sunday, the Lord's Day, up from the grave he arose. And so this is, this, and it's important this week, it's interesting to read the Gospels, I've been struck by this. If you, if you just look through the, the title headings and kind of watch it out, you'll notice that in all four Gospels, um, I think the least attention given to this last week in the life of Jesus is 25% of the Gospel. And the most is over 50% of one of the Gospels is just in the final week of his life and ministry. And in that, God is telling us, this is what's important. Yes, the, the, the multiplying of bread, the multiplying of fish, the healing of the lepers, yes. But Christ's greatest work is in his final week when he went to the cross. And so as we consider that, uh, this morning I would like to help tune our heart towards thinking about this week. I can't remember who said it, but I've heard the phrase more than once that, that history is really biography. History is biography in the sense that it's, it's the people who lived who make history what it is. It's what they thought, what they said, what they did, and why. And so I would like to take a biographical thought as we look to the cross, the one who sent Jesus to the Christ, Pontius Pilate. And so if we think about that, uh, I would like to begin by, by just giving some background. What do we know about Pontius Pilate? Well, we know he, uh, he condemned Jesus to die. What kind of a person was he? And so I'd like to start by just thinking about Pilate's time in Judea. Um, he was in this region, and it wasn't called uh, Israel at the time, it was Judea and Samaria, there was provinces divided up by Rome. The name Palestine, though, is, is totally um, not appropriate for this time. That was a later decision after Israel was conquered and destroyed uh, in, in after AD 70 and all that later on. 
but into the next century uh, to, to shame is the Jews. Uh, they changed the name to Palestine, which really means it was Philistine territory. And so, so it wasn't called Palestine. It wasn't called Israel at this time because it was kind of divided up by Roman. But it's a Judean region, and Pilate came in uh, from A.D. 26 to 36. So he was there about 10 years. He's originally from Spain. Uh, he was a, uh, not a, didn't have a really illustrious career, but he had um, married into a family who was related to Augustus, and so that helped, sort of. We'll get into all the details of that. He had a mentor, a man named Sejanus, who was a very close friend of the emperor, and that helped, and he's the one that recommended him to this position. And so in AD 26, he, he came to Israel, to Judea. And I want to just point out some events in, in his 10 years that kind of show us his character. One of the first things he did was he, and it shows his cruelty and, his, and it's just his lack of uh, understanding of the Jews. Early on, he, right after he showed up, uh, his, his main palace, his main home, was in a, at the uh, palace down in uh, what's called Caesarea, down on the coast. But he wanted to make a show of Rome's authority, and so he sent up his legions carrying uh, Roman ensigns, uh, they kept, you know, uh, pillars, uh, signs, like uh, carrying banners uh, dedicated to the emperor. And so they were either gold, either they were pictures of the Roman eagle or the, uh, the picture of the uh, emperor himself. And they came to bring them into the, um, to the temple. It caused such an uproar. So many Jews came to Caesarea, down to where his palace was. For five or six days they were rioting and it was looking like it was getting out of line. So finally he told his soldiers, that's it, pull your swords and if they, won't dis- if they won't disperse, execute them on the spot. Hundreds and hundreds of Jews knelt down, exposed their neck, and said, go ahead. We would rather die than see Jerusalem desecrated with those uh, blasphemous ensigns. Pilate realized he had a decision to make. Would it get back to Rome? What a way to start with a massive slaughter and a big uproar. Pilate caved. He backed down. And he withdrew the Roman uh, banners and, and brought them back down to Caesarea. Well, that, that tells us a couple things. Uh, he hated the Jewish people. Uh, his mentor, Sejanus, hated the Jewish people. So they were uh, anti-Semites. We see his insensitivity and his, and his power, lust to show his power, but also shows... Uh, he had to cave when he thought about the political ramifications. And a person like that doesn't like to lose. Well, the next event that we can think of is, is he wanted to be a good governor. And you look in Israel, one of the biggest issues is always water. And Jerusalem, you know, does not have a really a water, an adequate water supply. Um, it, it was filled with cisterns. So when it did rain twice a year, two seasons a year, um, they would try to fill up these underground cisterns, you know, water wells, if you will, but not a well that's provided water, just stored it. Um, and he thought, well, let's do better. And so near Bethlehem were what they called the pools of Solomon, and, and that was a good source of water. So he wanted to build an aqueduct. That's good. Infrastructure. We like that kind of discussion. The problem was 
he raided the temple treasury to pay for it. You know, I don't know what that would look like in our day. If I, I was going to say, well, if we were to, uh, if the government was, the governor to say, we're going to build a new highway, and everybody said, finally. And he said, and we're going to raid all the churches to pay for it. But then nowadays, I don't know, think a lot of people might say, well, that's a good idea. I don't know if you've heard, there's a recent discussion. We've got to reduce the, the dependence on, on fossil fuels and drive cars less. And so there's discussion of, of uh, making it uh, deeply restricting uh, driving on Sundays. Where would anyone want to go on a Sunday? So we'll restrict driving to... Uh, so that's the kind of discussion. So, so that illustration doesn't work as far as today. But, but do you get the picture of how that would have caused an uproar? You raided the temple to build an aqueduct. And so he didn't handle that well, caused quite a bit of consternation. Um, there was another riot. This time he kind of understood. And so what he did is he, he told his soldiers to put on, to go in disguise, cover up your uniform, but bring clubs and swords. And when they start to, to break out and riot, you start pummeling anyone. You, and it caused a massive injuries and hurt. Um, and that was another event in his experience. Many died in, the, in that event. Well, then he wanted to, to, um, to honor the emperor. Uh, Tiberius was the emperor at the time, uh, and he wanted to honor him. And so he, he had some shields that had an inscription that dedicated them to the honor of Emperor Tiberius. Now, again, he's down on the coast in Caesarea and about an hour's drive, not an hour's walk, up into Jerusalem. He wanted to send up those to the the palace that, that he used in Jerusalem. It was actually a palace built by, um, by Herod, but it was now kind of the official um, governor's palace in Jerusalem. And so he's going to send these shields dedicated to the emperor. What could go wrong with that? Well, people heard of it, again, thought it was another form of subtle idolatry, and, and they, they raised a stink. That's an official political term. Um, they they sent, sent letters to Emperor Tiberius and said, he's desecrating our city. This is awful. The emperor wrote to Pontius Pilate and said, get those shields back out of Jerusalem. So now he really made a mess. He was trying to impress Tiberius. I'm going to honor you. This can't, it's not in the temple. It's just going to be in the palace. So the emperor had to tell him, withdraw the shields. And that's put him out of favor with the emperor. Okay. One other event, now those were all before the cross. Later on in about AD 36, and really this is what led to his um, being withdrawn from, from the area. He heard there was a uh, false pro- prophet among the Samaritans. And he announced that the orig- Moses' uh, the, uh, Ark of the Covenant and all that, you know, you've heard of the Lost Ark and all that, and we all know it's really stored in a warehouse somewhere in the Smithsonian. <clears throat> but, but at the time, they thought it was there uh, in uh, the Samaritan area, and they were, they were Mount Gerizim, and, and he was going to reveal all these ancient treasures. Oh, well, that caused a, an uproar, and many people were marching to see this whole thing. And uh, Pilate sent his troops, and it was another desperate massacre and lots of violence and um, Samaritans wrote 
to the emperor or wrote and complained. One of the other Roman authorities up there in Syria came down and said, that's it. You go to, go to the emperor in Rome and present yourself and explain yourself. And so with that, he was expelled and eventually ended up him being sent off to Spain. And that's where he ended his life. What do you see with this person? First of all, you see he doesn't like the Jews. You see that he doesn't mind violence. And if something is out of, out of line and out of order, he will crush it with blood and violence. So you see, he doesn't have a whole lot of sensitivity to, to Jewish issues. He doesn't mind being thoroughly violent. Um, and, and, but the biggest thing for him is he's, he's passionate about preserving his own pride and his political position. So with that background on Pontius Pilate, and boy, I'm starting to notice I'm getting some great peas here who had a problem with pride and political position, but I don't have time to rework everything, but I'll have to store those for another time. So here's Pontius Pilate with the problem of political pride. Let's go forward now to the arrest to, to, to Jesus. After the Seder Supper with his disciples, and again, I, to me, that's always a, uh, a time where I want my heart to meet the Lord's heart. What was he thinking? What was, he, what was on his heart and mind as he gathered with his disciples? And you know, he said, I'm, I'm not going to have another one of these with you. And not until the kingdom. And, and this is like a, 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 like a father talking to his children. And he knows he's going to be uh, executed tomorrow. And so that's, John records for us the upper room discourse. There are things, what do you say when you know tomorrow's the end? And so he tried to get them ready. He tried to prepare them. He tried to um, steal them for what was coming and give them guidance for what would follow. He promised the Holy Spirit would come. But to me, that, that whole evening in that upper room was such a, a moving time. After that P Passover meal... Remember, they, they left and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas would betray him. And, and he went and he said, I know where he's going to go. He'll go to the garden. Now, he had a friend who owned that garden right down there at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. And, um, and he was allowed to go there. And so he was going to go there and pray. This was his time of preparing his heart uh, for what was coming. In the upper room, he prayed, John 17, he prayed for his disciples. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays for himself. Uh, God, take this cup away if you, if you would. So that's his heart. That's where he is. And it's in that scene that Judas arrives. And, and I'll read, uh, and, uh, I'll read some, some more passages of scripture here. John 18, 1 to 3. When Jesus had spoken these words... He went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then I'll skip down to verse 12 of John 18. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. 
Matthew and Mark tell us that there was a, it was a great multitude that came, a crowd. Um, so if you've ever seen a movie of it, you know, there's maybe a dozen or so, so troops. But there's some key words in there. In, in chapter um, 18, verse 12 of John, it says, detachment of troops and the captain. The word for the detachment is described, it's a Greek term that describes a Roman cohort. A Roman cohort was um, 600 to 1,000 troops. And so the leader of a Roman cohort was called a kiliarch. Arch means ruler. Kili means um, a thousand. So he was a ruler of a thousand. And so this tells us a, a, a commander of a, of, a, of a thousand man troop brought his cohort, brought his, his force with him. So there were 600 to 1,000 just Roman soldiers. Now, if you've been to that area, how they filled in that garden. They must have just flood, They must have been all, all through the, the Kidron Valley. Uh, the garden just isn't that big. And, and so they, but they went in there and they seized him. Now, why is that important? Well, where do you get a Roman force? Jesus had, Judas had betrayed Jesus to the high priests. Now we see, and by the way, there were also temple officers and, and others with them. But they came with a Roman force of hundreds of Roman soldiers. How did they get that? They must have gone to Pilate and said, uh, we need to arrest this man. And so you can imagine, uh, well, he probably said, well, you have police, you have temple police, go and arrest them. He said, no, 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 this is a big deal. Um, this, whole, this whole city is, first of all, this is Passover. Because of the festival, there's some two million people there and in and, and, and a very festive spirit. I've often said, Passover is like a blending of Thanksgiving and July 4th in America. It, it's a family feast, but it's, it's Independence Day. They're remembering, and by now in the day of Jesus, it's already 1,500 years old, but they're remembering how God delivered them from the oppression of the Egyptians, a Gentile force. So now two million Jews are gathered in Israel to celebrate their independence from an oppressive Gentile ruler. And what's happening? They're under an oppressive Gentile ruler. And then Jesus comes into town and they're crying out to him, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a messianic welcome. So you imagine the, the high priest said, you don't understand. There are people saying he's the Messiah. They're, they're, they're saying he's the king of the Jews. Do you want, if we go and arrest him, do you want a riot to break out? You know what those are like in Jerusalem, don't you, Pilate? Okay. Take, take a kiliarch, take a cohort, and arrest him. But then if you follow through the account, when they arrested him, he, his first trials were with the Jews. They brought him to Annas and Caiaphas. So this was something he was doing in cooperation and coordination with the Jewish leaders. And that's kind of important as we come to the trial. So the arrest shows the Jews have already worked out a deal. Why would he go along with the arrest? I would say if I read through the narrative, so it's not stated directly, that that Thursday night when they went to Pilate and said, 
We need a cohort. We need to make an arrest. Why? He explained it. I'll tell you what we have in mind. This man is a blasphemer and a false teacher. To which Pilate would have said, ho, hum. You think I care about your Jewish... Have I shown an interest in Jewish uh, sensitivities? No. He claims to be a king of the Jews. He's going to stir up the mob. So here's the plan. With your help, we'll arrest him. We'll, we'll, then we'll bring him to you. We'll, we'll try him. We'll bring him to you. You sentence him to the cross, and it'll be done. And we'll do it first thing in the morning before the crowds even start really showing up in town. So he was on board. Um, there were three Jewish trials before Annas and Caiaphas. We won't get into those. There were three uh, Roman trials before Pilate. Then he's shipped off to uh, Herod Antipas, and then he's back to Pilate. So let's look at his trial before Pilate in Romans in John chapter not, not in the book of Romans, John chapter eighteen verses uh, eight, 28 to thirty eight. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the Praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. See if they went into the Gentile quarters, that would have defiled them, and then they couldn't take the holy food of the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Well, we see there, Pilate meets them. He comes out. It's early morning. It was typical of the Roman court to open up about day, daybreak. And, you know, and partly that's the warmth and all that. But, and so they were like first on the docket. That could have happened unless they had previously arranged it. So he, he's waiting for them. And, they, and again, he's going to work it. Okay, okay. I know your sensitivities. I'll come out and meet with you. But notice his response seems to surprise the Jewish. What's the charge? That's the first phase of a Roman child. What are you, what, what's, he, what's he accused of? Can you imagine someone, the, the, the DA, bringing someone before the judge and said, uh, Your Honor, we'd like this man sentenced. I imagine most judges would stop and say, uh, Am I missing something? What's he accused of? Where's the, where's the evidence? Where's the accusations? Uh, where's the sentencing? And so what's their response? If he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't bring him to you. Can you imagine a DA trying that with the judge? Your Honor, uh, we were asking for uh, capital punishment. Why? What's he, what did he, if, if, he weren't, if he didn't deserve it, we wouldn't ask for it. But you see what's happening, though. What he's saying is he, he goes into the, the Roman trial mode. And it seems like what they had decided is we'll do the trial, but we can't crucify. You have to do that. Rome, when they conquered, they would say, we'll give, we'll give your courts a lot of leeway, but we have the right to execute, and you don't. And so they said, we'll do the trial, we'll bring him to him, you sentence him, and, and he comes in and says, what's he guilty of? And you can see them, why are you asking that? That wasn't the deal. It's kind of like in the old uh, westerns, you know, when the, the judge would say, we're going to give you a fair trial, and then we're going to hang you. <laughs> That suggests it's not going to be a fair trial. And that's what they want to do here. They want to sentence him without really a, 
uh, hearing. But the, what I'm saying is, it's everything points to, they had a deal. And now they're confused. Why are you asking these questions? Your job is simple. Guilty. Send him to the cross. But now he's opening up this legal case. Um, and so notice what he says. They answered and said to him, if, we, if, if he were not guilty, uh, we wouldn't have delivered him to you. And so he said, well, then you take him and judge him according to your law. And what's he doing here? He's trying to put it back on them. One of the, one of the uh, marks of a true leader is he knows how to make someone else take the blame. And, and, and Pilate is, is, is showing himself to be an astute politician. He sees, we've been through this. I've been through these problems here. And I see a big problem. You want me to execute the most popular man among the Jewish flock crowds? If you say he's guilty, you deal with it. So he's trying to put it back on them. Well, then verse 33, then Pilate entered into the praetorium. So now he goes in where they're not going to go. He called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, they hadn't really said that yet. But... He asks them, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him and said, are you speaking of yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered and said, am I a Jew? Do you think I care about this? Are, you know, basically saying, are you a king? Jesus answered in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. So I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered said, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I came into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And so notice how Jesus, one thing I want you to notice is, as you think through all these things is how Jesus talks to Pilate. He explains it to him, he's a king, but not of, uh, not of the worldly sort. I'm not going to raise up a rebellion. I'm not going to marshal troops. My kingdom's going to come from above. When I come as king, it's not going to be based on Jewish or Roman or Greek or Persian troops. My, king, my, my forces would come and conquer. But yes, I'm a king, but, but, but I'm no threat to, to Caesar's king. And so John doesn't get into all the details of, of how, um, uh, how the trial went. But Luke fills in a detail. He says, they began accusing him and said, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying he himself is Christ, a king. And so they'd raised, they're trying to, how do, we've got to find charges in a Roman court. And, and, and notice he ignored the tax thing, which of course was a flat out lie. Jesus said, render to Caesar what's Caesar. But Luke tells us they said he was a king. And so Pontius Pilate asks about that. In the process, it was mentioned that Jesus, it was mentioned that he was from Galilee. And once again, an astute politician says, ah, 
I, I, can, I can put this off on someone else. And so he sends him over to Pontius Pilate. I mean, to Pontius Pilate. He sends him over to uh, Herod Antipas. And so, oh, you're a Galilean? Oh, then you're under the jurisdiction, jurisdiction of Herod. I'll send you over there. And if you read through uh, Luke 23, uh, chapter 23, verses 6 to 12, you would, it says in verse 9, he questioned him, uh, Herod questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. Uh, Herod thought, this is great. I've heard about this miracle worker. Do a miracle. Put on a show. And Jesus wasn't going to, he didn't even say a word. So that really is stunning when you see him before Pilate talking with him. Talking about, I'm not from here. I came into this world. I'm a king, but, but not of this world's kind of kingship. I do have forces. You don't want to mess with but that's not the issue here. And he talked about truth. But to Herod, nothing. So Herod had him mocked and beaten and sent him back to, to Pilate. And we see that in eight, chapter 18, verses 39 to 19.6 of the Gospel of John. He uh, took Jesus out to them and said, Look, you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried out saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. You could even say that he was a terrorist. That's the kind of word, a violent, murderous person. Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put on him a purple robe and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. They struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know I find no fault in him. Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and Pilate said to him, to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. So he keeps trying. He, he, first he says, okay, you have a custom. Let, uh, uh, get out of jail free day. That's Passover. Okay, we'll call him guilty, but I'll go ahead and pardon him with the Passover pardon. How's that? Therefore, you get it. He's a bad person, but I don't have to kill him. And they said, we'd rather have a t- release that murderous terrorist who, who's made our lives miserable than Jesus. That didn't work. And then he said, he thought, well, if I can't appeal to them on that basis, how about if I appeal to them out of pity? And they put Jesus through the most brutal torture, uh, the scourging of the Roman whip. They mocked him, they beat him, they brought him out. Some didn't even survive that type of treatment. And, he, and they brought him out and said, there he is. And he thought, surely pity. Surely this people would have a heart of pity. And they cried out, that's not enough. Crucify him, crucify him. To which he replied, you crucify him. I find no fault in him. Now here's the question. Remember what I told you about Pilate? He had no problem slaughtering Jews. He had no problem killing the innocent. Why the reluctance To deal with Jesus. Now part of it may be as a Roman there was a sense of law. 
And, and he saw this guy as being set up. Three different times he says, not guilty. In, in chapter 18, verse 38, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no fault in him at all. John chapter 19, verse 4, bringing him out to you that you may know I find no fault in him. In verse 6, you take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. Was he protecting him just because out of a sense of justice? That doesn't sound like Pilate. I think a key factor here, and I'm helped in this by an older book by a man named Frank Morrison. It's called Who Moved the Stone? I think he wrote it in 1930. In the book, Who Moved the Stone? It's a book that, that just lays out the evidence for the resurrection. But he pointed out something that John doesn't mention, but Matthew does. In Matthew 27, 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Remember, he had heard about this situation the night before. And it's very likely there he was in, in, in the palace in Jerusalem that his wife was with him when Caiaphas came and said, Listen, we've got a problem. Here's the deal. We'll arrest him. We'll bring him to you. You convict him. The wife heard all that, and then she went to bed, and it sounds to me like she got a heavenly dream. You know, it does happen. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar. And so she sends, she texts her husband. This is the, uh, the New English version. <laughs> and uh, and says, Have, do not touch this thing. He's a just man. Now, we might look at that and think, what, superstition? They believed in dreams. They believed God spoke in dreams. And so he's getting this picture. I'm being set up. He, he met with Jesus and he saw, this is not like anyone else I've ever tried. And then he gets a message from his wife and says, God says, He's just, don't do it. That's why I think we see him backpedaling so furiously. I've got to get out of this one. You take him. I find no fault. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll free him on the Passover pardon. Hey, look, don't you have no, any pity? He's a man. Look, I've abused him. He's trying everything he can to not be responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. In the end, Pilate did give in. In chapter 19, verses 12 to 16 of John. John chapter 19, verses 12 to 16. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate heard, therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover in the sixth hour, and he, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. Then he delivered them. I'm skipping down. Well, he said, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered them over to be crucified, and so they took Jesus and led him away. Matthew 27, verses 24 says, When Pilate saw he could no longer prevail at all, he rather, but rather a tumult was rising, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, and said, I am innocent of his blood. You see to it. 
Why did he change? Because they expressed that thing. He claimed to be a king. If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself as king speaks against Caesar. Now, they've already at least once sent a letter to Caesar and got him in trouble. And to make matters more, and this gets a little, this will be, you can bring this up in discussion tonight. His mentor, Sejanus, that hated Jews, that got Pilate the position, Caesar discovered corruption in Sejanus, and he was in trouble. You know what happens in that ancient world? Well, if you get in trouble, then all your friends, all of a sudden, all his appointees are on tenuous ground. And we've got these Jews saying, we'll tell Caesar you're not his friend. He's already gotten in trouble with Caesar. And so they are threatening his political life. And he says, okay, that's it. They pulled the trump card. We're going to tell Caesar that you are protecting a rebel. You are protecting someone who's challenging his authority. And with that, he says, all right, you win. And then he brings out, he does a ceremony. He brings out a pitcher of water. He washes his hands and says, I have nothing to do with this. I see no guilt in this man. If you want to crucify him, take and crucify him. He saw a tumult rising. He saw a riot brewing. He saw a threat to his political life. And so he sentenced to a brutal death a man he knew was innocent. Three times he stated it publicly. It's on, it's, it's on the record. He's innocent. There's no guilt. What kind of man is Pilate? He's willing to sacrifice the life of an innocent Jew to keep his political career going. This was political expediency, not any kind of justice. A couple thoughts as I draw to a close. First of all, we see how, how grievous is the guilt for being a part of this. We see that in Acts chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. <clears throat> Peter wrote, said this before the Jewish people in Jerusalem. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. That's Barabbas. And killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. But you see the guilt before God for, for, for participating in that. Pilate knew the right thing to do. Why would he kill Jesus? He was afraid of what man would do. Fear of man. It, 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 it's crippling. And he was worried about his political position. And he was worried about falling out of disfavor with Caesar. And for that, he willingly crucified an innocent man because of fear of man. Pilate was too fearful to do what was right. Don't make the same mistake. 
You know, sometimes that's what keeps people from trusting in Christ as Savior. What would people think? If I believe in Jesus, they're going to think I'm one of those crazy Christian followers. Uh, 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 A hateful Christian. I was going to say a Jesus freak, but that shows... Where I grew, what age I grew up in? That was that's ancient language. That's practically Latin nowadays. But uh, now, oh, you're one of those hating bigots. You believe the Bible is true. And so many, out of fear of the crowd's disapproval, are unwilling to stand with Jesus Christ. Don't make that mistake with the offer of the gospel. Isn't that amazing? Look at the grace. Jesus offered Pilate. He talked to Pilate. He told him who he was. I am a king. I'm not from here. I am the truth. But Pilate was more afraid of what men would do to him. He feared man rather than God. Because God spoke to him through his wife. That's the first and only time that's ever happened. That God has spoken to a man through his wife. (laughs) Just lost half my crowd. You don't want fear of men, but it's okay to fear women. But but anyway, but but God told him, don't do it. And he did it. What he's saying is, God, if I have to choose between you and Caesar, I choose Caesar. Don't make the same mistake. And as as someone who's trusted in Jesus Christ, the message is still to us a strong one. Don't let fear of what people think keep you from doing what's right. Yes, it may isolate you. Yes, it may cost you. But what would it cost you to say no to God and yes to man? May we learn from Pontius Pilate. May we see the weakness of the human heart and recognize I have one of those right here. And may I be warned. God, spare me from bowing to the fear of man instead of the fear of the Lord. Our Father, thank you that over this awful and terrible trial, your sovereign hand ruled. For you had predetermined before all time that your son would stand before the high priest and be condemned unjustly. And stand before the civil court and be condemned unjustly. For that is the only way he could ever suffer a judicial penalty. And yet he did. And he bore your righteous wrath on that cross that we might be justified. Declared forgiven and clothed in the righteousness of your eternal Son. Father, thank you for the courage of Jesus to stand unwavering in this dark hour. Father, may we, your children, in a darkening hour, be strong to stand. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.